Luke chapter 7. Same passage as last week, and uh, I said I held some things back out of it because I wanted the I wanted to do it right today. I wanted to pull it out today, and I want you to see these things. Now, we started this because of our theme, Greater Things, and we're starting with the greater worship. We're starting at the feet of Jesus. We're starting, it's got to be between you and God. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you've been called to the world, but if you don't first start with your relationship with God and at the feet of Jesus and in His presence and worshiping your Savior and knowing your Savior and loving your Savior, you'll be weak when you go out there, when we mix this up and, 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 and have the idea that you're, you're strong because you're saved. And let me say, you're saved. And I'm not going to belittle that. But I tell you, we grow in the spirit. We grow in the knowledge. We grow in our relationship with God. We, we, we are commanded to worship. We're brought into worship. And, and, and like I said, I, I'm, if you're, if you're, I'm preaching on worship. And some of you are thinking, well, we just did that. Maybe we did. I hope we did. But worship isn't just repeating words because somebody's playing the piano. Worship isn't just standing and, and saying words because everybody else in the congregation is there. Then, if that's true, then people do that all over the world and never even focus on Jesus. They go through the motions of things. The world is hurting today because buildings called churches are filled with people called Christians that are not walking with God. They just are familiar with God. There is a difference. There is a change and a desire and a craving that Christians ought to have to be in the presence of our Savior and to worship His name, not just sing songs. And I'm not at all belittling what we just did. We talked about last week how everybody worships something. I took you a tour through, through the screen of people all over the world that, that, that have never mentioned a God, but they're worshiping something. They worship a rock or a statue, a person or a place or a cow or a tree. But we're born with this internal desire to worship and people go through this world. And I asked you two questions. The whole service was about two questions. I asked you, what are you seeking out in your life? I'll tell you what you worship. Man, if your whole life is breathing, talking, walking, sports, then that's what you worship. If you get more excited uh, about somebody that throws pigskin than you do about a Savior that died for your sins, then there's something wrong. Amen. What do you seek? What do you look for? What do you crave? What do you, des- what do you desire? And then the, the second question that we ask is, what satisfies you? This woman wept at the feet of Jesus. She was in the presence of something she needed. This world goes out grabbing, looking for everything, and they come back empty every single time. Christians, when we are satisfied, when we're in the presence of our Savior, I'll tell you, you could have the worst day of, uh, of your life. Walk in off that parking lot, come in here being around God's people and God's praising God's name and singing and praising God and hearing the message. And it's not me, it's His Word. And all of a sudden, everything begins to change because of Jesus Christ and being in His presence. So I asked you if you'll read this passage with me again. And say it's the same thing I know, but we're going we're to pull it apart. And I just ask the questions. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 39, and we'll pray. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And he would a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, 
brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and to wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this was that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Let's pray. Lord, I, I know the points, the thoughts, the direction that you've placed within my heart to share with our church family today. But I also know, Lord, that I am nothing more than the messenger. And Lord, I know that if you're going to work again like you did next, last week, Lord, that we need the Spirit of God to be here. We pray, Lord, as we read your scripture that we're hearing from our God. We pray, Lord, that we'll set aside the distractions, Lord, the problems, the fight that we had before church, the, the issue that we have to deal with after church. We pray, Lord, that you'll allow us, Lord, to be in the presence of our God as you speak to our hearts, as we look upon your word, and Lord, as we allow the Spirit of God to yank on our hearts to open us up and stir us up. Lord, I thank you for the power of the word of God. How it never gets boring, it never gets old, it never goes out of date, and it's always relevant to every issue we'll ever face. We pray this in your name. Amen. Simon did not get what this woman was doing, but I I can tell you the reason why we're reading it today, the reason why in 2016 in Columbus, Ohio, we can open up our Bibles and we can read this is because God said, that is important to me and I want people to read it, to know it, to study it. It's important to God. He was honored by her worship. He was honored by what she did. He was honored by how she did it. He was honored by her presence. He rebuked this religious leader that was there honestly trying to impress Jesus. Jesus wasn't impressed with this guy at all. Have you ever thought sometimes when we're going through the motions of our religious activities and he was a religious leader, that God says, man, that's a lot of great acting you're doing, but I'd rather have somebody that their, their heart's in it and they love me. You might walk, and I'm not knocking anybody in the stage, you can come up here, have on the prettiest dress or the nicest suit, the shiniest suit, uh, shoes, and, and, and have the microphone and hit every note and play the instruments or sing in the choir or be on the stage, and yet God is more pleased with that person in the audience that is authentically worshiping God from her heart than the one that got on the stage just to do a performance. Never forget that. It, it, it wasn't just in who she was and what she did in her heart that God was pleased Verse 37 again, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat, this woman, and I kind of pointed this out last week, probably had encountered Jesus already. Because the thing is, when she found out where Jesus was going to be, she gathered her stuff and ran to this house. She wanted to be in the presence of Jesus because she already knew something or experienced, maybe through the preaching. I don't know if, if you take the, the, the Gospels in order in Matthew eleven twenty eight happened before this. And he says the words, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe it was that message she heard. Maybe she was so broken. And she thought, I want that. You want me to cast all the garbage of my life? And she probably battled within herself thinking, if he only knew. 
All these other people knew. If he only knew what I've done, where I've been. Because the Bible says when she was a sinner, and then the Pharisees later, it said if he knew what manner of sin, and then the later after that it says her sins that were many, okay? Anytime you have that, that, that language that's there, and, and every commentator that I read said the same thing, it had to be associated with, with a harlot or a prostitute or something of that magnitude. She should not have been here on this day in the eyes of all these people. I don't know why she was there, but I know somewhere along the line she encountered and found out who Jesus was and she wanted to be there. It was not uncommon for people during this time, and I thought about this and I did some research, they would have like a courtyard, especially somebody like a Pharisee, they would have this open courtyard and people would gather in. They didn't have Netflix and Xbox back then. Not, not as much of the entertainment aspect. And one of the things that they would do for forms of entertainment, if somebody was having somebody of any clout or, uh, you know, a position, and they were in their house, they would gather around and they would let them just observe through the window or the door or whatever to hear whatever. Just stay out of sight. Don't bother us. But you're welcome to come in and watch. You can imagine this woman was in the crowd and waiting for that moment to approach Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but that would take some guts. This guy was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He knew the law. He held people to the law. They were critical of anyone that fell short of the law. They showed no love. There was no grace. It's not like he, she would have walked in and said, oh, what a sweet lady. We need to minister. It would have never been like that. This would have been like a lady of the night showing up at the Pope's house. Somebody of this showing up to this religious leader walking in. It would not have been socially accepted. In their eyes, she was labeled a sinner, and that's what she was. She had a reputation that had caught on, and it was definitely nothing that you'd want in your house or be associated with. She was very undesired. You can imagine as she broke through the crowd and actually entered into the room, the hush that had to come over that crowd. You know, you say, why, why didn't the Pharisees, if you're saying that they were so critical, stand up and say, hey, you've got to get out of here well, you have to read the whole story. These Pharisees weren't there for good reasons. In, in the chapters before that, we read about how they were setting up Jesus. They wanted to find fault with him because they, they did not believe him. The Pharisees were probably nudging himself going, here we go. Let's see what he does with this. Yeah, if he was a prophet, if he, and that's what they say. If he was this, if he was that, man, this guy would never be doing this. But her approach to worship ought to be a lesson to every one of us. What she did in this passage caught the affection, the attention of our God. Verse 37, and we'll start into our points. And behold, now you guys know in Scripture was like, hey, and wow, <laughs> let me tell you what happens. Behold what happens. Look at a woman of the city, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was set at me to the Pharisees, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. Point number one, let me, let me show you what we learn from her worship. She had a focused attention on God. She walked through the crowd. She passed the servants. She passed the critical Pharisees. She was overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus. She falls at his feet and his feet alone and begins to worship in that room. She did not care who was talking. 
She did not care who was pointing her out. She did not care about the snickers or the comments or the sinner or the other names that probably weren't mentioned about her in that passage from the crowd that said that she should not have been there. She was there on that day for Jesus because she wanted to be there on that day with Jesus. See, the thing is you cannot have corporate praise on Sunday without having first personal worship with Jesus on Monday. You know why churches are dead? Do you know why we have an absence of the Spirit of God? Because I promise you, you can do this, you can sing out, you can stand there, you can be critical, whatever. If God's not working in your heart, it's all void. It is empty praise. It is words because worship, our worship begins our praise, our communion with God at the presence of God. I tell you, she showed up on that day for Jesus. Why did you show up on this day? Just asking a question. I'm not trying to be critical, but why did you come here? And I know this isn't the only place of worship. We gather to worship and God has called us to worship. And you can't deny that reading Psalms chapter 1 through chapter 150. But on this day, she was drawn within her heart. She was motivated towards Christ. I, I, I feel like in our world that we are so distracted that we don't really crave Jesus. We crave the benefits or the fellowship. We crave the atmosphere. We crave how it makes us feel. Or we crave whatever. But is it Jesus that's your motive for what you do? Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our, our worship in our lives ought to create a, create a craving in our lives to be with Him and to know Him. See, the problem is we are a very blessed generation. You know why we can have big events and not necessarily have great worship because we are the most distracted generation probably that has ever lived distracted on every on every way possible our 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 new watches and our cell phones and our ipads and our tv and our smart tvs we got Redbox and xbox you've got Every kind of device from GPS in your car to uh, billboards that now can show video on, on every point. This is us all the time. It, 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 we go and we go and we go and you say, man, it's a rough world. I'll tell you, it's the same thing if, if it's in our personal life at home or even in our corporate worship at church. When we are so distracted by the devices and the things around us that we don't put our attentions on Jesus. You know, there's a verse when Jesus was teaching one time and he said in the middle of this and, and they, made, they basically made a whole movie about it and it, the movie wasn't bad. It was actually great. In Matthew 6, 6, but, when, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet. When thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Don't miss out on what this was saying. And, and I, I, I love the War Room movie and, and what the whole principle of that, she emptied the closet to have that place to worship God, which is great. But let me tell you, the principle of this verse was eliminate the distractions and give God your attention. Amen. Whether it's on the stage, on this platform, in the back or wherever you're at, I pray that when you worship, your attention is on Jesus and not everybody else. Most of the time, it's not, to be honest. You know, I know because I can, I can blame myself. I can look on myself. Sometimes in service, 
or in my life, I'll be reading my Bible and my phone will ring or somebody will knock on my door or I'll remember something. Isn't it amazing what you can remember when you're reading and praying? Oh yeah, I was like, and you're making your grocery list in the middle of it. You know, and Satan brings all these things to your mind. Remember this, and you forgot so-and-so's birthday, and all, all these things come into our mind, and we have so many distractions in our world. I, I'm amazed at how, and you guys don't, you, know, you, know, you all know that I love you a lot, right? Okay, I love you. I love this church. I love my job. I love what I do. But I tell you, when we come to church, there ought to be more going on in here than there is walking the hallways after we start service. And I know we've got jobs and things to do and places to be and all that other stuff, but it's more important that we are saying, blessed be the name of the Lord as we praise our Savior in this room than there is talking about how whatever team lost last weekend. But we, we can allow all these distractions to come into our life and all of a sudden the focus of what we do is not Jesus Christ. It must begin with us walking through the crowd and all those other people as this Pharisee sits at this table with Jesus and you got all his buddies and you got all the servants and they're in the presence of Jesus. Not one of them washed his feet. Not one of them kissed the face of Jesus. Jesus said all this in the past and we went through it. Not one of them anointed him with oil. Not one of them did anything to show their love for Jesus. And they were the good ones. They were the ones that had it all together. And then the ones that they were pointing out going, what's she doing here was the one that Jesus said, she's the one I'm honored with. She broke through the crowd. She, she didn't even listen. Oh, sinner, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I don't, get, get out of my face. I don't care. She walks in, begins to weep, just to be in the presence of Jesus, falls at his feet, and she's in the zone of where she wanted to be. Our worship time can turn into social time really fast if we're not careful. I uh, was praying about what God wants me to say. Your life will change when you learn to worship and put your focus and attention on the Lord. I'm not, I'm not just talking about on Sunday morning at 11 or Sunday night at 6 or whenever we come together. But I'm talking about tomorrow morning or tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon, or whatever the Lord opens the door for you in your life. To have time that you just put your eyes on the one that matters most. The next thing that we see is not only her focus on Jesus and Jesus alone, she walked in there with an audience of one. When you worship on Sunday, when you praise the Lord in your worship May we worship with the mindset that we have an audience of one, which is Jesus. Number two, we see an outpouring of her love. She came to pour out her love on her Savior. Verse 38, we see all these things going on, but I want, I want to point out what these things represent. And stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head. You can tell that this was genuine. This was not an emotional thing. She was not going through the motions. And I'm going to show you what the Lord points out is number one, she came humbly before God. Our, our worship, and, and I'm saying authentic worship, and you're saying, what in the world does that have to do with let's stand and sing at this time? You're right, it doesn't. 
This stuff ought to transpire way before we ever get to stand and sing to our God. There ought to be a communion and a fellowship and a, and a growth and a joy and a love that's in our hearts way before we stand to sing. I'll tell you, that would change us to the fact that no matter when we're praising the name of Jesus, rather than being upset about what song we do and do not like, we're more excited about the name that we're praising. The one that we're praising, the name that we're exalting, the name that we're lifting up. She came humbly. She fell at his feet. She lowered herself before the Savior. As it is, she, she didn't come in there with like the rest of them. She instantly fell at his feet and lowered herself before Jesus. Now, guys, we do this all the time, but we understand the reverence of what we do. If I was to say right now, all right, let's pray. What would you guys do? Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, I mean, God could hear you. If we opened our eyes and looked up, God's going to hear you as much as doing this and closing our eyes. But why do we do that? It's an outward act of our heart. It's almost a natural reaction of when we say the pray that we bow our heads or humble ourselves or we come before God or we're coming before the Savior. And it's not because we're in this room. God would, God would answer the same prayer at your job or in your house. But it's the act of understanding this woman walked in there and bows before God is to say that I am a sinner. She bowed before Jesus is to say, I need you in my life. As they were whispering all the words of here comes a sinner and everything, she knew it already. And some of you know in your life that you are a sinner. Do you know how I know that? Because we're all sinners. Everybody here. She walked in there and humbled herself before the one that could save herself from her sins. She humbled herself. We submit ourselves to God. It's the beginning of our worship. Not only do we go before him and we put our attention on him, but we submit ourselves to him. In Philippians 2.8, the Bible says, And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself. Did you hear that? Our Savior humbled himself in the presence of his Savior. Say, what was the follow? Listen to these words. And became obedient unto death. Worship begins at the feet of Jesus. When you in your life, you in your closet, you in your car, you in your house, bow before God and you say to your God, God, it's all yours. God, I'm, it's not much. And I'm a sinner. And I'm stained with the regret. And I am filled with sin. And I am wretched with my reputation. But what I have, it's yours. She humbled herself before God. Do what you want. Change what you want. She goes from there and we see the brokenness. Because she was weeping in this passage. I believe that the, the weeping was mixed. I'm sure it was tears of regret and it was tears of brokenness. But at the same time, tears of joy of just simply being in the presence of Jesus. To live with all that sin that she had and to maybe hear that message that she's heard of casting your care upon him for he cared for you. To carry that reputation with you and to be called all that and to be looked at as disgusting amongst everybody else in the community. She had no peace because I know because the Bible at the end of it, Jesus says, I give you peace. Not a word was said. But we know within that, by the end of it, God forgave her of her sin. It's called repentance. 
Now, I know this is throwing a lot of you for a loop because you're sitting there thinking, man, I thought you were going to teach us how to sing louder. I thought, I thought we were going to stand out. No, it's, it, that's the problem. Our, our praise is broken because God says that repentance is where it starts. To fall on your face before God, surrendered with your hands open, and then follow up and say, God, I am sorry for the sin that I've done. Now, in that culture, she couldn't say a word. I don't know if you guys realize that, but it would have been wrong for her, maybe in crossing that line that she knew that I could not speak to, at the table of these men or these leaders. She said it all with her tears. And she was broken. I want to read you these words that I'll remind you about later. We sang the song just as I am, and we, we inserted a chorus that says this. I, I, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I, call, I, I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God just as I am. I thought about how that woman goes in there. You notice that those rejected theirs with their thoughts and their mind. But Jesus never turned this woman away. Because that woman and her brokenness was exactly where she should have been. I don't know your sin and your past. But you are as welcome to worship our God as everyone else in this room. The person has as much invitation before our Savior that has been in this church for 50 plus years as the ones that have been here for one day. See, the, the Bible was painting a description that God is not a respecter of persons and He doesn't put us in categories and He doesn't accept some or love some more than He does others. She came humbly and she repented before God. She broke herself before Him, broken with her tears. Do you guys realize that repentance is the idea of turning your life around and going the other way? It's saying, God, I don't want to be who I am anymore. But saying those words is just words. See, repentance is a change of direction, not just a change of thought or ideas. But it gets better. She came humbly. She came broken. And then she started displaying love. You guys know the verses. She began washing his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hairs of her head. And then the Bible says she kissed his feet. She kissed his feet. Not being able to say with her lips, being in that presence of that culture. But she began to tell Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you with her lips. And she kissed his feet. She loved on Jesus in the only way that she could. The Bible says in Psalm 63, verse 3, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. You see, our lips were created to praise our Savior. And how often when we sit there and on the same lips talk about how much we love God and yet how much we gossip or complain with the same lips to our God. It was all that she had because she was praising her God. Let me ask you this, and I know that we physically cannot kiss the feet of Jesus But when we sing, do you declare your love for him? Or do you just say the words that are on the screen? There is a difference. She came humble. She came broken. She displayed her love. And I want you to get this. And you might not see this at first. But then she exalted him. She lifted him up. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 uh, 15, <clears throat> But if a woman have long hair and is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. In that culture, that hair represented her glory. It represented her beauty. It represented something special. You can imagine as she's weeping over the feet of Jesus and the most beautiful thing about her, she begins to pull down and wipe over what we would say is the ugliest part of him. And I say that with all respect. And she begins to cover the feet of Jesus with the most beautiful part of her. You know what I reminded over and over in Scripture how the Bible says that I must decrease and he must increase? In that passage, as she was saying, God, all that I am and the beauty that I have, Lord, I put at your feet and I cover this dirt that is wrapped around your feet. As she worshiped God with her beauty, as she pulled out what she had that she thought was great. And let me tell you, in our worship and all that we do, it's not about us, it's all about God. It's not about my glory, it's all about your glory. Everything that you do, everywhere that you go, everything that you do in your life, may it display and lift up and exalt the glory of God, not ours. It's not about the part that you play in the Easter drum or the position that you have or how much time you get here or there. It's all about lifting up Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Her beauty in this passage became a rag. You wonder why God was so honored. The Pharisees were filled with pride and arrogance and they were so full of themselves and she was the opposite. She was praising God with all that she had. You can't find pride in her. True worship is we do what we do for the glory of God and not for the applause and we'll sing and we'll praise God and we'll show appreciation as we clap after a song or something like that. But let me remind you, all that we do, we do for his glory. One last thing that I want to show you that we learn from her worship. She came focused on Jesus. She poured her love out on Jesus in every way that she could through her humility, through her love, through her lips, through her tears, through her glory. And the last thing that we find from her worship is she left being changed by Jesus. You cannot sit in the presence of our God and not be changed. Let me say that again. You cannot. It is impossible for you to show me a story where somebody was touched by God. And let me just put it in our language. The day that you were saved. How many, if you're saved and you know it, raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right. Speaking to you guys. You are not the same as you used to be. You're not the same. Quit acting or thinking that you can live the same because you're not the same. He was, in this story, was a change of life. When she stood up and he said, thy sins are forgiven, she was no longer the woman that she used to be. Verse 38 again. At the end of the verse, it says, anointed them with the ointment. That word ointment means myrrh or perfumed oil. If you look later on in verse 46, he said, My head thou with oil thou didst not anoint, talking to the Pharisee. 
the word oil that was normally used in a situation like this of anointing was that, in this passage, was that of the definition of olive oil. But that's not the word that was used for her. It was an alabaster box that she walked through the door with. It was a perfume. It was, the, 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 the Greek was the definition of a myrrh or a perfumed, perfumed oil. It was not cheap. But let me ask you, what was her job? Was she rich? We think of the story of Jesus and the birth and how they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were rich. They were wealthy. She was not rich. She was not wealthy. She anointed the feet. She poured everything and every bit of it as she broke it out over the feet of Jesus But the Bible points out very clear that it was the very last thing that she did before she stood up. She walked before God and she humbled herself before God. She wept. She put her glory. She she did all those different things. And the last thing that she did is she reached behind her, grabbed that thing, broke it over, and anointed, poured out, not the oil that they would anoint someone's head, but the perfume that was used. The same word. It's used in Proverbs 7.17. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. This is the description of the strange woman, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that this morning. But not a good girl. By any means. Could well have been that this ointment that she was using to anoint the feet of Jesus was also part of her line of work. She humbled herself. She loved on her Savior. She poured out everything that represented who she was. That ointment that she would get up every day and put on her neck as she would go out and lure in men and that she did her job and made her money. She took that ointment on that day and she pushed through the crowd and she went at the feet of Jesus and she wept and she repented and I am sorry and it's all about you and I'm sorry. And she heard the word sinner, prostitute, unwanted get out of here what are you doing and she broke it out as to say that who i was is not who i am any longer i lay it all at your feet you can imagine as the pharisees stood up and they pointed out who she was as this she dropped the bottle in their face and said i'm not the girl i used to be i'm not who i was and how amazing is it that those very feet were the feet that carried jesus to the cross And those very feet that she anointed with that ointment and that perfume is where they drove the spike into her, into his feet. And covered that very place of worship with the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus at the end of it in verse 47 says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, now listen to this, which are many. Wasn't that Jesus was omitting it? Jesus was saying at the end of the passage, guys, I know who she was. I know what she's done. But he finishes up the phrase, says, are forgiven for she loved much. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. God took every debt of who she was and where she'd been and what she'd been labeled. And God changed it in that moment. You see, in our worship, we realize who God has made us to be. In that presence of God. But I'll tell you, if you stay in the crowd or you listen to the Pharisees, the religious crowd, they're going to tell you something else. 
It's only at the feet of Jesus in our worship and our fellowship with him and our attention on him do we realize who we've been created to be set free, living every day and every moment for the glory of our God and not for ourselves. Verse 50, and he said unto the woman, thy faith have saved thee, go in peace. So I'm going to ask you the question, how is your worship? I'm not asking about your singing, I'm asking you, how is your worship? How, you looking back at this week, how much time did you have time that just focused on God? That you fell before him in your humility, that you laid out your sins before him, that you wept in your brokenness and you asked God to change you from who you were into who he wants you to be.